Hello Internet, it's time for another series of ESC Insights Castaways and I'm your host Ellie. We've got all sorts of special things for you coming up, but first of all, here is a special live episode recorded at the first edition of Ne Parti Pas Sans Moi in Glasgow with our guest Elaine O'Neill. Hello, Internet. This is Ellie calling. We're, we're live on the glamorous Ile de Besançon for ESC Insight, and it's time to welcome another castaway to the beautiful, mysterious, ludicrous Ile de Besançon. We have here Elaine O'Neill, Elena Vision on Twitter. She's somebody who's made things happen. And she's here to tell us her eight favorite Eurovision records and why they mean so much to her that she's willing to get them past me, the worst customs guard in the West. Normally, we give you two free records so you don't have to bother picking them. Uh, instead of Shakespeare and the Bible, we give you Waterloo and Valare, and there's fewer authorship disputes with those, so it's fine. So, Elaine, welcome to Ile de Besançon. Oh, it's lovely and warm here in this tropical climate. And no sleet outside at all. No. Um, what's your connection with Eurovision then? Well, I, uh, I've had a long, long connection with Eurovision and things have got a little weird lately. But originally, I, uh, I, I threw myself into it with the classic contest of 2003 from Riga. If anyone remembers 2003. I heard someone whisper that it's their No, favorite. all of these people are just 18 years old. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get, let's get on to the paperwork, the admin, which is why we're really here. Your first song is uh, France's song from the 2003 contest, Louisa Belesh, Mont et Meville. Indeed, yep. And hopefully we can listen to a bit of it now. Do you want to tell me what this song means to you and a bit more about how much you enjoyed the Riga contest? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I watched Eurovision with my family growing up. It was like, it was just like a family tradition, although I was always sent to bed before the results, so I never, I never got to find out who won before that is the cruel. next morning. That is just cruel. With the exception of 1997, for some reason. Um, but 2000, 2003 was a rough year for me, and um, I was having a really difficult time. And I thought, well, Eurovision must be on soon. And this was in March, because I'd forgotten the difference between March and May. They both begin with MA, and they're in spring, so it's basically the same month, right? And, uh, and so I went online looking for information on when Eurovision was on. And I found the website for Riga 2003, which was pretty good, credit to LTV. And it had all the tracks on it. And I thought, this is strange. You can listen to the Eurovision songs before Eurovision. And so, and so I went and listened to them. And they were really good songs. And so I listened to the whole thing. And I memorized pretty much all of them. I mean, some of them weren't so good. <coughs> UK, <coughs> Gemini, <coughs> Neil Poir. <coughs> Oh, sorry, the tropical air is giving me a terrible cough. Um, I thought we said we'd never speak of it again. 
Um, and and yeah, I just I completely fell in love with it. I realized that there's so much good music here and music that you wouldn't get in the UK charts. And so speaking of, I think we can listen to Louisa now. <laughs> yes. Yes. This is the only ballad, don't worry. Rien n'est plus comme avant Depuis qu'on s'est perdu Les rivières, l'océan Toutes les mers se sont tues Et la terre, et la terre Pour moi ne tourne plus Je déroge le ciel Comme un ange déçu Lovely bit of the old French chanson-esque pop there. Why is this one the one that you specifically pick out from 2003? Well, a lot of the ones from 2003 people seem to remember and rate still, like uh, Hello from Mars or 80s Coming Back. But this one never seems to make the list. This one has just sunk without trace. And I find that such a shame because I find this such a a really beautiful French ballad that's just got lost in the mists of time. And it's a, it's a deeply sort of melancholic song. I mean, Monte Merve roughly means something like the moon and stars, and the chorus is all about someone promising the moon and stars and then that not happening. And it's just, it's just really emotional, and there's emotional time in my life, and I was in my mid-teens, so I was extremely emotional. I spent a lot of time crying to this, and I still sort of get a little weepy when I hear it now and nobody remembers this anymore and that's why I, I want to pick it because it's I think it's one of the uh, the sort of forgotten gems of, of 2003 which was a, a really beautiful year arguably the arguably the first modern Eurovision contest after the uh, the the blippy bit between uh, the late 90s and, and the early thousands yeah, yeah, I think we can go with 2003 as the first modern one. I have to admit that I'd basically forgotten about this one, even though I definitely know I watched all of 2003 in sort of abject horror. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this one had passed me by, but it's really beautiful. Listening to it, researching for this, really appreciated it. And so we have your first record accepted. Thank you. Now we go on to song two on the customs form. We have Israel 1998. We have Dana International with Diva. Viva Victoria, Cleopatra. 
Eva. So, right, I, uh, 2003 was probably the year which I became a Euro fan. But as I said, I watched the contest beforehand. Now, this one is a very sort of deeply personal one for me. See, I'm trans. And back in the, the wild mist of 1998, you really didn't hear anything about being trans in the media. There are occasional sort of documentaries that were designed to shock and titillate kind of, ooh, a change of sex. Let's go and go into the operating theater and look at the blood and guts. And, and it was all very sensationalist and all very distant and not remotely relatable. So for me, young, confused, hurting trans girl, no idea what I was, no idea whether there was anyone like me or whether I was fundamentally broken. It's really isolating. And then what happens? Eurovision comes along and my parents explain to me, well, this Israeli singer, she's a woman, she used to be a man. I thought, what? That makes no sense. You can't really do that in reality. And anyway, there was a lot of discourse, a lot of terrible, terrible discourse in the media. But this made me realize that, wait, no, I'm not alone. There's, there's a word for this, and there's, there's people like this. And what's more, Dan International is not sort of in an operating theater being gawked at by tabloid media. She's on stage in front of a whole continent. In Jean-Paul Gaultier killing it. And, and winning Eurovision. And yeah, like, it was basically impossible for anyone to mention this in the news without including some kind of snigger. But she still won. And, and people liked it. And the song was played everywhere on the radio. And it was a huge moment for me. And from that point on, I knew what trans was and I knew what I could work with. I think people today forget what a massive impact she made because people like to write off Eurovision as being something a little frivolous. Just, you know, a fun party night in May that everyone can forget. But I would argue Dan International changed the, the, changed the public discourse around being trans in Western Europe. And so this song is, is, is deeply, deeply personal to me, which is also slightly awkward because... It's a banger. <laughs> and, and why not? And why not? Um, Donner International. Yay! Obviously, we're accepting Diva into the Ile de Besançon canon of absolute bangers. And thank yeah, you. Thank you for telling us about what Donna means to you. Thank you. Shall we do something deeply frivolous? Yes, let's do something deeply frivolous. Um, so let's go on for song three, which is another one you'll know. And <laughs> I already know the anecdote about this, and it still absolutely cracks me up. Please give me the San Marino 2016 song, I Didn't Know Disco Remix by Sir Hat. I need you more and more each day. Yes, 
Berlin. Yes. This is really, really silly. And it's sort of objectively not good, but it's also good. Why is this song special to you? Okay, I have three words that is probably going to elicit a big reaction. That's my fault. She did this. She I did, did that. that. Okay, so 2016, we're hearing that uh, San Marino, the most serene republic, had picked a, a Turkish game show host as a singer. Uh, we weren't quite sure what to expect. And then came the review. And the song was not what people were hoping, maybe? I'm going for a reconstruction of Leonard Cohen based on only a comic description. Leonard Cohen, if it was your drunk uncle on Christmas Day, <laughs> it was, it was, it was, it was like their article saying, "Is this the worst Eurovision entry of all time?" Which you know wasn't, but and you know that really hurt Sir Hat's feelings. You know these artists are human. Anyway, Sir Hat, <laughs> Sir Hat, the uh, the most serene daddy, likes to have fun. And when the uh, when the song was released um, on on Spotify, there were a few bonus. Bonus versions of the song at the end. There was a uh, club remix. Ooh, sort of imagine, imagine sort of Sir Hat, but with glow sticks. And then, and then there was a disco remix. And the disco remix was actually kind of good. I mean, not good, but bad in a good way. And like people were really liking this. I was seeing people going, "This disco remix is 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 fun. It's terrible, but I'm loving it." And, and I was thinking, mm, well, given they've had all this bad press, and given people seem to be liking the disco remix, maybe, maybe there was a slight chance that I could convince the most serene republic of San Marino and their broadcasters and Turkish game show host millionaire Serhat to actually switch to the disco version. So I launched a campaign on Twitter. And I got, uh, I got, I got sites involved. I got the, uh, the team from Weary Blogs behind me. And um, I, kept, I kept sort of asking people if they could send, you know, write to San Marino saying, hey guys, if you did the disco, it would go really well. And I didn't think much of it. And then came the day when, like, that's it. All your vision entries are decided from that point on. We know all the songs. That's final. The songs can't be changed. And just as the deadline was coming, the news came from the Most Serene Republic that they were officially switching their slow, drunk uncle Leonard Cohen ballad to that disco, terrible but glorious banger. And my phone just vibrated so much from the people messaging me saying, Elaine, what have you done? That it just fell off the table. And, and I spent the evening in, in, in a state of absolute shock because I never thought they'd actually do it. And, and suddenly, Everyone was talking about it, and it, it sunk in that I'd actually got a nation to change their Eurovision entry. I mean, I know why you did it. It started out with good intentions. <laughs> <laughs> but he's back. He, yes. He's also, you made him a disco star, because he took, a re he took another version of this with... <laughs> Weather girl Martha Washington to a fairly lofty position in the US Billboard <laughs> dance chart last year. And you're responsible for Disco Sir Hat. And yes. like, I'm pretty sure the Sir Hat that's going to come back is going to be Disco Sir Hat. So I, 
all of this is your fault. I mean, at the time he was saying, oh no, I preferred the, I preferred the original. It was more true to me. And then like he goes and does a, a version with the, the weather girls and, and that goes really well. And he's really into it. And he seems to have really got on board with the whole disco thing. And uh, I, 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 I actually got to meet Sir Hat in Stockholm and it was the weirder thing. Um, I sort of waved a San Marino flag at him and explained that I was the one who'd launched the, the email campaign and he thanked me and said, you know, I hope people will like this and thank you for liking the song so much. Uh, he waved my San Marino flag on stage and then walked off stage with it. I, I've never had it back again. He's probably still got it. Um, if you see him you, waving yeah. a San Marino flag this year, it's, it's probably my flag. I mean, I'm tempted to knock this record back and not let you have it. But, but, but the most serene daddy... Yeah, I mean, look, we're surrounded here by pictures of the most serene daddy. We have Sir Hat for Saturday down here. He's propping up our pineapples. <laughs> As it were. Uh, so I, I think we're going to have to let you have Sir Hat. And then maybe try and do something sensible for your next song. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, song four. We have um, Bulgaria's mysterious 2018 common framework, Equinox. Bulgaria's most extra superheroes. Elaine, right, tell me about your relationship with Bones and uh, why, why you like Equinox. Yeah, this is a, uh, like, Sir Hat was the first time I really ever got to know a Eurovision singer. Um, but gradually I've got more and more involved in the Eurovision community. And this year I've actually uh, been doing a couple of interviews and things. Um, but um, back at London Eurovision, um, lots of people were performing, and one of them was this supergroup from Bulgaria, Equinox, who were made up of a, uh, a bunch of Bulgarian and American singers who had never sung before but brought together. There was a huge marketing campaign about it that described them as a not a group but a common framework, which and the name just stuck. It was on Wikipedia for about five months before someone finally noticed. And they were standing in Leicester Square looking lost. And I could just see them there looking lost. And no one seemed to recognize them, particularly Jana, because she didn't have the, uh, the wig on. And um, I wandered up and said, you, you, you're Equinox, aren't you? And they were like, oh, yeah, yeah, we're Equinox. And so I helped show them where to go for the press room. And then um, I saw them again later on the way to the, uh, the stage. And then I was next to the stage at London Eurovision and they were waving at me and things. And I thought, that's really nice. I've made a little connection with the group. And then when I went to Amsterdam and Eurovision in concert, they remembered me. And I was like, oh, hi, hi, you're Elaine, aren't you? And I thought, that's, that's nice. They remember me. They, they, there's this connection. Um, but I didn't realize is that they'd somehow regarded me as their number one fan. And so... 
Um, when it came to the Eurovision in concert proper, which, because it was an anniversary, was filling a huge stadium in Amsterdam, a big stadium, um, and it was a room full of people, and Equinox came on stage, and for a lot of people, this was their first time seeing this, this super-hyped supergroup. And there they are, being all mysterious with their mysterious bonesy song on stage. And then, like, they notice me. They notice me at the side. And then they start waving. And then at the end of the song, at the end of the song, Trey um, blows me a kiss and then like walks off stage. I'm thinking, that's, that's really nice, but people must be really confused what was going on. And this just kept, every time, every time they did a concert or, or, or performance where I was there, they would come and say hi. And Elaine, when we saw them uh, in Lisbon, I thought they were going to take you home with them. Yep. So we actually had an interview with them. It was their, it was, I think it was their last interview before the grand final. They were, they were demob happy. They were giddy. They were all over the shop. And I, I thought that they were going to kidnap you. They were so, they were just, they were just like, like extended family. And they were, they were so happy. And they were just having the time of their lives. And we went in to do an interview. But it was like sort of meeting old friends. And we were just having a while, like a really great time. And uh, like the interview kind of overran, although all the interviews overran it because was, they're just having such a good day. It was basically unpublishable, Elaine, so... <laughs> and at the, at the very end of the interview, uh, they, they, they stopped and said, um, so, yeah, you were, you were our first fan. You were the one who found us in London before our first performance when we didn't know what you we were doing. And we're, we're glad that you're here at the end as well before the grand contest, the grand final and thank you for being there for us this whole time. And like, how am I meant to relate to that objectively anymore? Because, you know, they're my friends. Aww. And uh, I'm, I'm still friends with the, the, the group Equinox. Actually, um, I've got a selfie with them as my, my Twitter avatar. And I, am, I am expecting an album from them, but I'm not massively holding my breath. They've promised, they've promised. So there you are, sort of portrayed as this aloof, weird, space-age, goth, common framework. And yet, they're basically like my cousins. So, I love this song now. Oh, accepted. accepted. Thank you. Right, next one. I've no idea what the story is, but could you introduce your <laughs> Melfest favourite? Okay, all right. Um, there's... Two t stories with this. I'll do this short one first, and then we can hear it, and then I'll explain the slightly longer one. 2015 was a very dramatic year. You had, you had all kinds of big events going on, lots of really good songs that could win Eurovision on any normal year. And it was, it was emotional, and it was dramatic, and it all built up to the final evening with uh, Melfest, Melody Festivalen's final, and Melody Grand Prix Norway's final. And it had been such a long season with so much drama. And it was my first season as being a, a Euro fan within the, the fandom online as well, like properly. And so it was exhausting and emotional. And after all of this, after so much debate about the ballads and which song should win and the whole controversy with Russia at the time, it all ended with what looked like some kind of Farmer Santa singing the happiest song ever, gallivanting around bales of hay 
in the uh, in the arena in in Stockholm with the entire audience just dancing along and no one ever thought he was going to win but no one seemed to care and it was just like the the great relief of pressure with this super happy super happy Swedish grandpa schlager grandpa schlager folk grandpa so the song is Hasse Andersson and Goldach Grunisch Guga I think Stilla kväll, men jag får ingen ro Solen dröjer kvar vid havets rand Jag börjar tänka på en gång för länge sen En annan kväll i Pilevallars land Och spelmännen spelade som elvovelös Pågarna hon höll på var vilda och de svingade varsin död Right. Okay. So that was a super happy moment. And anyway, after after Eurovision, a couple of months after Eurovision, I was uh, I was doing a read through weekend with friends, which is where we all get like a play or something and and read through the parts and act it out, and it's like a lot of fun. And someone there was from Sweden. I didn't know him very well. Um, he said he wasn't really into Melody Festival nor Eurovision or anything, but apparently he just caught the end of it and he knew this song and he knew this song from the radio. And so when I mentioned this song, he was like, I know that song. I love that song. And so we were happily doing the washing up of everyone's washing up in this, this retreat in Derbyshire, singing this happy Swedish folk song, while everyone else, all Brits, just looked at her thinking, what are you doing? What is this? What's wrong with you? And it was just this, this connection through this, uh, this happy gardening Santa folk hero man. Eurovision allows you to access channels of fun unavailable to normal people. And we should really be thankful. Accepted. Thank you. Right. Talk. I need to get ready to get up and dance again. Because your song six is from Meme Lords, Moldova. It yep. is their 2005 song, it's Zob Zadob and Bunica Batitoba. <laughs> Right. So, Moldova. I love Moldova. They're probably my favorite Eurovision country. That flag there is my flag. I actually have a life-size flag of Moldova. Um, I just love them. They, um, I've actually written an essay on why I love Moldova, which we'll go into a lot more detail than we can go in now. And if you go and Google Moldova and meme... You, and Eurovision, you will probably get it. And it's hosted on ESC Insight. But effectively, the precy is that Moldova 
like to have a lot of fun and try and be remembered because it's their one chance to stand on the stage because Moldova, when else are you going to hear about Moldova? And they always are true to their own selves and their own music. And what I love about this particular song, which was their debut, is that the grandmother on the stage, the old woman you see banging the drum, isn't part of the group. She's an old guest house owner in Moldova who the band was staying with when, they, when her drumming inspired them to write this song. And so in thanks of her inspiring them, they brought her along to actually perform the song with them on stage. And because you have a limit of how many people you can bring on stage, one band member sat out the chance to perform at Eurovision so the original Bunica could go and play her drum and dance around. And I just, I just think that's the most pure, sweet thing. And it's a wonderful song that you wouldn't get from anyone else but Moldova. So, of course, this is going in. There are so many more Moldovan bops, but I think this is, this is the origin story of Moldovan bops. So it can come. Thank you. All Moldovan bops. Okay, another brief sojourn into national final land. This time we are going to Germany's um. national selection in 2014 for a bit of something a bit rollicking. Let's go. Yar. Now he's the one who sings while the lovers scrub the floor. Oh my, oh my, oh my. And he's the one who laughs when the storm begins to roar. Oh my, oh my, oh my. When the fiddle starts to play, better hide away if you don't wanna die. He is the one to play Pirate really is an underserved genre at Eurovision. <laughs> Why? Like, what happened to Germany that they didn't choose this? We right, so yeah. I'm half German, and so Germany are as much my Eurovision nation as the UK, and I am so frustrated with them because I love so much German music. Germany has so much wonderful, wonderful music, a lot of it in German that never comes outside of Germany. Santiano are an example, for example. They're from Schleswig-Holstein, which is where I lived in Germany. Anyone here from Schleswig-Holstein? No, I didn't think so. Massive. No. Um, and yeah, they, they uh, not, I mean, the songs are mostly in German, but it's this kind of music and it's great. And time and time again, Germany gets these, these great performances, these great singers, these great sort of German genres. And they turn it down in favor of something generic. And this has been going on for years and years and years. And it just kind of disappoints me because you could have got these, you could have got these sea shanty pirates from Germany at Eurovision. The next year, you could have got Lang on their, their exercise bikes, sort of like working their way through Eurovision and, you know, keeping fit at the same time. And, and there were the laser monks of Gregorian the next year. And in each case, Germany went, I don't think Europe will like that. We should go for something we think Europe will like and ended up with something disappointing. And like, I, I, I deeply love Germany, but I wish they just have a bit more confidence in their, in their own music. And you, you know, that would, have, that, would have, that would have killed it in Copenhagen. Are you more frustrated with the German national selection process or the UK national selection <laughs> process? I mean, you've got uh, a doozy of a two to pick from there. I wish I were Belgian. 
clearly Santiano accepted. Final song. And, okay. right, I've seen on your form what you've put here. And the rules are, we have rules for a reason. We have rules. Rules, rules. Rules. The rules are that it's Eurovision songs, national final songs, and Jesk songs, junior Eurovision, if you feel like it. But what you've put here is none of the above. You've given me an interval act. I've given you an interval act, yes. And it's not love, love, Ooh. peace, peace. It's not love, love, it's all right. It's not love, love, peace, peace. See, when I'm asked what Eurovision means to me, and I'm frequently asked that because I have a lot of people who go, Eurovision is trivial, Eurovision is nationalist, Eurovision is, is, is a waste of time, Eurovision is this, Eurovision is that, they all hate us, rah, rah, rah then I always have to say why I love Eurovision. And if I was to pick any piece of music to explain why I love Eurovision the most, I think the one that sums it up best isn't actually any of the competing songs, great as they are. It's an interval act. It's an interval act from Norway in 2010. See, they got the group Madcon to sing a song called Glow, but they didn't just have Madcon sing the song. They had the stadium start joining in. It was designed as a flash mob. And, you know, that was nice. Not particularly amazing, but it was nice. And then suddenly it cut to Ljubljana, Slovenia. And you had a bunch of Slovenians jumping around Ljubljana, singing along to the song. And then suddenly it was in Dublin, Ireland. They were dancing along to the song. And then Dusseldorf, loads of Germans dancing along to the song. And, and, and then this kept up going. And then suddenly it started going to living rooms. You had like a living room in Serbia with a dad dancing with the dog. And suddenly a bunch of hip college students dancing around in Sweden. And it just, it just kept moving around Europe. And I just started crying because this is, this is what Eurovision is. It's a party. It's a party that we're sharing all across Europe from Glasgow to Jürtenberg, from Lisbon to Ljubljana, from Dublin to Dubrovnik, from Athens to Antwerp. Families, friends, people on their own, students, old people, people in pubs, people at home, people on the sofas. Everyone joining in. Everyone laughing at the same things. Everyone hating the same things. Everyone arguing about which song is best. Joining in, laughing at the jokes. See, in a world where we're increasingly defined by nationalism and borders, and these people think that, and these people think that, these people do that, these people do that, your vision is where that all goes away. Just for one night. And we're all partaking in the same party. We're all in that stadium. We're all singing along and that's why I can't watch this entire song without bursting into tears because to me this is what Eurovision is this is a party that we can all take part in and for one night we're all together and I love it and so that's why that's my final song and with a noble sentiment like that I can't not accept it go on go on go on have it so that completes the songs part of the whole thing. We're done with the songs. Uh, typically, we all offer you a Eurovision luxury if you've just got something that you'd like to add on quickly at the end. A vehicle. A vehicle? A vehicle. See, a like, Eurovision stage is quite big, and it's quite difficult to move around it. So a nice way to get around this is to have a helpful vehicle. And we've had a couple of memorable vehicles in time. 
like the golf cart that, that uh, the French hipster rode on in. Yes, but which one are you having? Oh, if I have to pick a vehicle in specific? Yes. Well, I'm going to go back to Stobschistur, my, my beloved Moldovan meme lords. Because in, in, in uh, 2011 in Dusseldorf, they rode onto the stage in incredibly pointy hats on unicycles for no good reason. Literally, no good reason. Didn't have anything to do with the song, just pointy hats and unicycles. And I you, want that look. And for you, for no good reason, you can have a unicorn and I will... A uh, unicorn? Oh my God. Oh, bonus. A unicycle and I'll throw in a pointy hat free. Thank you. And that was Eurovision Castaways for ESC Insight with my guest, Elaine O'Neill, presented by Eleanor Chalkley. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you.